Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 11, the gospel of Mark, chapter 11, second book of your New Testament, Mark, chapter 11. This morning, we're going to finish out a series we started a few weeks ago. Actually, this is the sixth week in the series, Untangling Unforgiveness, and uh, so this is going to wrap up the series and uh, finish it out this morning with the last message in these six weeks. Mark chapter 11 is where we're going to start. Uh, you know, I remember back when I was 18, 19 years old, I've always taken it seriously, you know, the privilege of being able to vote. And I don't know if it was my mom or my dad or some, something along the way, but I've just always really uh, uh, been grateful for that privilege to cast a vote. And I've always tried to be responsible in that regard and to vote whenever we have an opportunity uh, in any election or anything that we're deciding in, in our country. And, uh, but yet I remember when I first started off, you know, 18, 19 years old, voting was a little different then. You know, I'm 46 now, so it was a little different then. And uh, today you just go in, you punch in your card, you press your stuff, it's all computerized, you pull your card out, get your sticker, get your cookie, and out the door, you're done. And it's just a lot different. But when, you know, early when I was first starting to vote, man, I remember just being so intimidated because you'd walk into this booth that had some, a curtain that looked like it weighed about 400 pounds, like some velvet curtain or something, like the Wizard of Oz was going to be back there when you walked back behind it. And I remember going and you, you had this, this huge handle and you'd grab this handle and it just, bang. You know, and then you had all these levers in front of you. You had to flip the levers. And how many of you, be honest, just flip some just to see what they would do? You didn't really want to vote for that. You just want to see, man, this is really neat, you know, when you first start. So you flip the levers, and, and, uh, and then when you're done, you know, you look it back over a couple of times to make sure you didn't vote for somebody you didn't really want in there. And then you grab that handle again, both hands, and boom, and your vote is cast. I mean, you have just made a decision as an act of your will that will have implications. There will be things that will happen as a result of the choice that you made. I remember years ago when Susie and I got engaged, and I remember, you know, we had been friends for a long, long time, for years. We knew a lot of the same people. And I remember we dated for, uh, at, towards the end of my seminary time and then for a couple of years after that. And, and it came that time when you know, I knew intellectually that she was the one I wanted to spend my life with. I knew in my heart that I didn't want to be with anyone else, that emotionally that was the person that I wanted to, to, uh, to have as my wife. But there came a point in time where I, I, I made the decision and I asked the question. And as an act of my will, I had a choice to make. And, and no matter what I felt in my heart or whatever I knew in my mind, no matter what I, uh, whatever I desired or any of those things, it, she only became my wife as an act of my will when I made a choice. And there are times in our lives when, when we come to a place where we realize that we may want something, we may desire something even strongly, and we may even have a, 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 an enormous amount of confidence that what we desire is the right thing, but we have to come to a place where we plant our feet, where we cast our vote, where we make our decision, where we, where we make our choice as an act of our will. And until we make our choice, we are not able to enjoy those things that we desire. Webster's Dictionary describes it. Listen how it defines the word choice. It says it is to select freely and after consideration. To, to define the word choose requires a selection that is made of a variety of options, and it's made freely as an act of our own will after consideration. We've thought it through. We've, uh, we've sought counsel. We, uh, as Christians, we've prayed about it, but there's a point in time where we have to choose which direction we're going to go what choice we're going to make. You know, choosing is biblical. In the Old Testament, it was Joshua who would say to the people of Israel, choose you this day who you will serve, but you remember the rest of it. But as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. But he would say, make a choice. Uh, in the book of Revelation, Jesus himself would speak to one of the churches, and he would, say, he would say to them that you are neither hot nor cold in your devotion to me. You're neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. I'd rather you be one or the other 
but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. It was a figurative, uh, a, a picture there of the desire, the need for them to choose who was going to be their Lord. Who were they going to follow? Were they going to be hot? Were they going to be cold? Just don't be somewhere in the middle. And there are times in our lives where we have to make a choice. Even from a, from a Christian perspective, when God is, is doing work in our hearts and we know what he's doing in us, we know what God desires, we still have to make a choice. And we still have to determine which direction we're going to go. Well, we've been looking at this series entitled Untangling Unforgiveness. And we realize in Scripture that Scripture tells us that even in this, cate- this, this area, this category, we have to make choices as well. Listen to what it says. You don't, don't turn here because we're going to get to Mark 11 in a moment. But it says at the end of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So there's a picture, even in regards to forgiveness, of us having to decide, having to choose, cast our vote, make our decision, whether or not we will forgive those who've hurt us or whether we're going to hang on to that hurt, that unforgiveness, and allow it to become bitterness that rules our lives. Six weeks ago, we started in this series and we began to break it down. And if you weren't here for this entirety of the series, you can access it online on our website. But I'll just give you a quick brushstroke over what we've looked at. Six weeks ago, we started with the pain of unforgiveness. We looked at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, where it talks about how, uh, how if we do not uh, dispose of bitterness in our lives, if we do not do away with it, then as a result of that bitterness, we were going to defile many people. That a root of bitterness springing up will defile many in our lives. And we summarize that in a little statement. That lingering unforgiveness will bring lasting devastation. That it sloshes over into the lives of everyone else around us. If you've ever met an unforgiving, bitter person in the workplace, maybe you've got a family member who is just bitter today. You may have someone that that is a close friend of yours that is bitter, and they can't see it, but you see it so clearly. That that bitterness is like carrying around a five-gallon bucket filled to the brim, and as soon as they bump into something or someone, that bitterness spills all over into them. And you may have been the recipient of that. You may have had someone who is just bitter in heart ultimately uh, uh, bring consequences into your own life, and that's the nature of unforgiveness. It grows into bitterness. There's great pain that goes when we choose not to forgive. Well, the second week, we looked at the starting point of, unf- of forgiveness. How do we move out of unforgiveness? How do we untangle that and, and move into an area of forgiveness? And it all starts at the cross. We look back to what Jesus did on the cross. And when he died and he paid the perfect penalty for our sin, yours and mine included, he chose as an act of his will to do something that would bring forgiveness to everyone who would come to him in repentance and faith. And there would still be a choice on our part. We would have to choose if, he would, if we would surrender our lives to him. But he paid for the price of our forgiveness on the cross And we looked at a simple principle then as well, that anyone can forgive anything because of the power of the gospel, because the gospel is enough for us. Jesus Christ is enough, no matter how badly you've been hurt or who it was that hurt you, whether you've been betrayed or abandoned or rejected or whatever it was that occurred that has caused you to become unforgiving in your life because of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, because of the resurrection, through a relationship with him, you can forgive. You can forgive anyone of anything and be set free from that. And so unforgiveness brings a tremendous amount of pain. There, there is a starting point to moving out of unforgiveness, and it goes all the way back ultimately to the cross. The third week, we looked at the replacement of unforgiveness. And that replacement is when we choose to hand over to the will of God, to surrender, to cast onto the will of God those who hurt us. We trust them to, to the Lord. We don't have to pay them back. 
We don't have to make them pay. We don't have to carry out vengeance against them. We don't have to give them the silent treatment. We don't have to try to, try to uh, 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 get retribution towards them. We don't have to do any of that. We just entrust those who have offended us to the will of God. Let him sort all that out. Let God determine what he's going to do. And as we entrust them to God, we also entrust ourselves. To say, God, my heart is broken here. The person most close to me has hurt me the <clears throat> excuse me, the deepest, the person who I trusted has broken that trust. Whatever the hurt, God, I need you to help me and I need you to to heal me. And we trust ourselves to God and he'll do that because of his love for us. Then the fourth week, we ultimately began to look at the freedom that comes whenever we choose to forgive. Simon Peter, one of the disciples, was talking with Jesus and he had in his mind that, uh, that there was a limit to our forgiveness. And he even asked Jesus, Lord, if a person sins against me, how often should I forgive them? How many times? Up to seven times, Peter said. Well, the rabbis of that day, their limit was three. I mean, they were the holiest of the holy, for crying out loud. And they decided, well, three is enough. And after that, I don't know, I guess you can just go after them if you want to. But that was what the rabbis decided. So Peter is feeling like he's notching this thing up a little bit. And so he says, Lord, if someone hurts me, should I forgive them up to seven times? And he's breaking his arm, patting himself on the back for his own goodness and his righteousness. And what does Jesus say to him? No, Peter, not up to seven times, but up to how many? Seventy times seven. And he wasn't calculating how many times to forgive. He wasn't saying after 490 times, then you can go after them. You can let the air out of their tires or you can you know, do all kind of crazy stuff toward it. No, he wasn't saying that. He was painting a picture, Jesus was, of boundless, limitless, uh, without boundaries type of forgiveness. That it doesn't matter who hurt you or how badly they hurt you, you will find freedom when you set them free through your forgiveness, when you cut them loose, when you, when you let that debt go, when you don't hold their offense against them any longer, when you choose to forgive them. And one of the things we brought out of that was that it doesn't mean that we check wisdom at the door. There may be decisions that you have to make in wisdom that are hard decisions to make towards those who've hurt you. But there's never an excuse to be unforgiving. And at the same time, whenever you think of the freedom that comes through forgiveness as well, what it means to forgive 70 times 7, it reminds us also that God just may ultimately restore not just a close fellowship with himself, but he may even fix that relationship that's been broken. Not every time, but many times he does. In Romans, we looked at a verse that said, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. There are some people that have hurt you and you'll forgive them and you'll try to go to them and they don't want any part of your peace. But you can lay your head down at night with a clear conscience knowing that the best that I can I have chosen to forgive them and I'm trusting the results to God. And so there's freedom that comes whenever we choose to forgive. Then last week we looked at the concept of forgiving ourselves. You know, you may have been able to look back in your life and see a season of your life or a moment in your life, a decision or a night or, or whatever it was for you, that if you could just redo that and call a timeout and go back, kind of rearrange some choices you made, rearrange some things, you'd do it over in an instant, but you can't. And maybe today you're dragging that ball and chain and that baggage of, of choices that you've made that you know you've come to Christ, you've asked God to forgive you, you're a believer, you're a Christian today, and yet you've had a hard time letting those things go and they still define who you are, but they shouldn't. They've shaped your life, but they should not define who you are. Failure should never define the believer. It's what God has made us through Christ that defines who we are. And for some of you, you chose to forgive yourself. For that decision, that choice, that season, that night, that, 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 that thing that altered your life for so many years today. Or recently you've been able to set yourself free from that. Because God has forgiven you, you have chosen 
to forgive yourself, which brings us to today. The last message in this series, and as we look at this last message, we're going to look at the concept of untangling unforgiveness. It's choice, what it means to choose to forgive. This is probably one of the most common questions that comes in the mind of one who chooses or is wrestling with, with forgiving. They begin to wonder, well, what if those feelings come back again? What if those feelings come back? If I choose to forgive, what if I have all of those hurtful feelings come back again? What do I do? Here's a principle that I want you to hang on to. When we look at the role of feelings in the life of the believer, whenever we look at at what it means to choose forgiveness, whenever we sift it through Scripture and we begin to look at what the Bible has to say about forgiveness specifically, there is a a, a difference between the feelings and the choice that comes. Here's the simple principle. We'll put it on the overhead for you. That forgiveness is a choice rather than a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice rather than a feeling. For, uh, when you think of forgiving, there may be warm, fuzzy feelings that come up with that, with that thought, and there may not be. You don't wait for the feelings to come before you, before you choose to forgive. In fact, I would say in any other area of the Christian life, we would understand that truth, that we don't wait for the feelings before we obey. We obey, and then ultimately those feelings will follow afterwards many times. And for those that may be wrestling with offering forgiveness to one who's hurt you today, you've not yet buried that hatchet. You've not yet put, a, put it to rest. And you may be wrestling with it. One of the things that keeps you from forgiving is, what if I have all those feelings come back up again? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And so Mark chapter 11 is where we're going to begin to dig in. In just two simple verses we're going to look at. One is going to make perfect sense. The other is going to throw you for a loop. And we'll, we'll break it down and unpack it. So Mark chapter 11. Pick up with me verse 25. Verse 26, in your Bible, these words may be written in red. They're words of Jesus. Of course, the gospel book of Mark, written by Mark, uh, capturing the ministry of Christ, many of the words that Jesus would speak. And so these are words that Christ would speak himself. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and verse 26. Jesus speaks and he says, Whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who is in heaven, will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. And that is an interesting two verses of Scripture. Let me read it again slowly. Verse 25, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive forgive your transgressions. Let me start with verse 26, the second verse there. There's a principle whenever you interpret scripture that you always want to keep in mind. You always interpret unclear passages in light of those passages that are very, very clear. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that there is nothing in all of creation, not height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities. It goes through the whole list. And then just in case he missed one, Paul writes in Romans 8, nor anything in all creation that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1 says, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the Bible is really, really clear that the moment you prayed and you invited Jesus Christ himself to come into your life, to take over your life, to forgive you of all of your sins, the moment you prayed that, whether you were seven years old or 70 years old or somewhere in between or beyond, when you genuinely gave your life to Jesus Christ, he forgave you of every one of your sins. Every one of them. Every sin you would ever commit are forgiven. 
And so whenever we look at this passage, interpreting it in light of other passages, here is what that verse, verse 26, is not saying. It is not saying that if you choose not to forgive, you're not going to go to heaven. It is not saying that. Some of you got really, really worried there. I could have given an invitation. I had a ton of people up here. You know, you're not going to heaven if you don't forgive. Now look, Nathan, come on up, let's play. No, no, that's not what it's saying. You see, there are, in, in a sense, there are two different types of forgiveness when you look at Scripture. There is an eternal, permanent forgiveness. When you gave your life to Christ, that's what God gave you. Every sin forgiven. The slate wiped clean. You stand before God, He's going to let you into heaven because your sins were covered. They were forgiven when you gave your life to Christ in repentance and faith. There's that eternal lasting, permanent forgiveness. Jesus calls it everlasting life, John 3, 16. Everlasting for a reason. He didn't miss his words up. He got it right. It's everlasting. You can't lose your salvation. But then there's a second concept of forgiveness, and that's that daily application of that permanent forgiveness that affects our sense of closeness to God. In other words, if I as a Christian choose to rebel against God and I do my, my own thing instead of what God wants for a few choices and those few choices turn into a couple of days, those couple of days turn into a few weeks and those weeks roll into months, it's inevitable early on that I'm not going to feel a closeness to God. Do I have a relationship with Him? Absolutely. I am forgiven permanently. Everlasting forgiveness I have in that relationship. But my closeness will be affected when I choose sin. My fellowship with him will be harmed, it will be damaged whenever I choose sin. That's what Jesus is speaking of here. He's not saying if you don't forgive, you're not going to heaven, blast it. He's not saying that. He's saying if you don't forgive, you will not be able to experience the beauty, the joy, the, the, the mind-boggling nature of the forgiveness by the grace of God that he has shown to you. You'll miss all of that if you choose to harbor unforgiveness in your life. You'll miss it. You'll miss the beauty of what it means to be right in the sight of a God who is holy by no work of your own as you sit in your little corner of the world harboring anger and bitterness and unfor uh, unforgiveness towards another person in your life. You'll miss the beauty and you'll miss the joy of that fellowship with a God. You won't come rushing into his presence when you harbor unforgiveness in your own heart and you know it's there. And so he's saying in verse 26, if you don't offer that relational forgiveness, you won't be able to experience that joy the way God desires as a Christian, as one part of his own family in your own relationship with him. So let's jump back to verse 25 now where we started because he paints a picture of the urgency of the choice to forgive. He says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. He doesn't say whenever it works out for you, he doesn't say whenever those feelings come and you feel like a forgiving person, you've sang some good songs in church, you had a great quiet time, you, know, you went out to lunch with a great solid Christian man or woman and they really pumped you up, really got you excited. When you feel like it, you forgive. No, he says even in the midst of your most holy thing that you do, where, where everything else takes, back, takes a back seat, he says even when you stand praying, he says there, forgive. If you haven't forgiven, just stop the prayer and make things right with God through making things right with the one who has hurt you. Listen to what he says earlier. You don't have to turn here, but listen to what he says earlier in Matthew chapter 5. A little bit of a different picture, but he still paints that picture of urgency. He says in Matthew 5, 23, he says, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar 
And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. It's a picture of urgency. It's a picture of priority that forgiveness is not just something that we one day maybe will get to. We're going to still sing the songs and praise God and have our quiet times and pray that he blesses us, enjoy all the things he gives us. One day maybe I'll get to that point in my life where I can forgive that that lousy, no good for nothing person who hurt me so badly. No, it doesn't operate that way. He says, even if you're praying, even if you're, you're giving your offering and you remember that you got something against somebody, they got something against you, you just leave it and you go and you make things right. In other words, offer forgiveness and then come. There's a sense of urgency that's there. He doesn't threaten to keep us out of heaven. He just reminds us again of the cost when we choose not to forgive. It's a choice. It's a point in time. Not a feeling. Let me read a quote to you of an excerpt of a book entitled The Gift of Forgiveness by Charles Stanley. Listen to what he writes in regards to forgiving even when the feelings are not there. He says, we may be tempted to doubt the sincerity of our decision to forgive that person or the one who hurt us. He says, if this happens, it's important to remember that forgiveness is an act of the will. The initial decision to forgive the person must be followed by the faith walk of forgiveness. Standing firm on the decision to forgive that person and applying additional forgiveness if necessary allows us to replace the hurt and the defeated memories with faith victories. The new offenses can be forgiven as they occur without linking them to past offenses which have already been forgiven. It's equally important to remember that forgiveness is for our benefit. The other person's behavior may never change. It's up to God, not us, to change that person. But it is our responsibility to be set free from the pressure and the weight of an unforgiving attitude. How do we set ourselves free? By choosing to forgive. Feelings will come, but the choice, perhaps for you, can be made today. Six weeks ago, when we started this series, you came in and there was a little white blank index card on your seat. I asked many of you, all of you that day that were here, to take that card and to write on that card the name or names of people that you've been unable to forgive. It may have been a close friend who betrayed you. It may have been a family member. It may have been someone that you worked with. The the list is endless of who may have harmed you or hurt you or offended you. And you've been unable to let that go. You've been unable to offer forgiveness. And I ask you to write their name or their names on that card and to take it home with you. And my desire was that right there, that day, you could offer forgiveness and begin to move forward. But if not, that you would pray for that person's name for them on that card and to pray every day, God, give me a willingness to forgive. I ask you to take it home with you. Put it where you can see it to pray each day. Six weeks ago, some of you may still have that card and right there on the spot, you can jerk it right out of your Bible. You've been been doing that consistently. Maybe not every day, but you've been doing it consistently. Others, you weren't here six weeks ago or for whatever reason you don't have it. When you came in today, there's another white card for you. You're not getting off easy. Another white card for you. And here's what I want you to do. As we close out this morning in this time of invitation, I want us to close out a little bit differently. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm not going to ask anybody to speak. I'm just going to ask you to do something. And if you can do it genuinely to make this choice. 
that if you've come to a place at any point during these six weeks where you've been able to say, you know, I've forgiven that person. And forgiveness just means you've set them free from the debt that you've held against them. I've forgiven through the course of these six weeks, and I've heard some great stories and testimonies, and I've gotten emails from people that have said, this, was, this is my story, and this is what I've chosen to do. Stories of people being set free because they chose to forgive. If you've been one of them, or if today, as we close out this series, whether this is your first Sunday or you've been here the whole time, there's been that person that's come to mind that's on your heart, and you, cho- you choose today, you know, as an act of my will, I want to be free from that unforgiveness I want to move forward, but today I choose to do it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that card with their names on it or that name. Jot it on there if it's blank right now. And as we sing our song of invitation, just a moment, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing I asked our first crowd at 9 o'clock, to just slip out from where you are and to come forward and just to place that card on these steps down front. If you want to stay and say a little prayer, that thanking the Lord for the ability to forgive, whatever you want to pray, you can do that. If you just want to come and set it there and go right back to your seat, that's fine. We had people do both last service. I tell you, it was just powerful to see people slip out and come, and then after the service to see cards all over these steps and to know that every card represented a heart that was set free. And by the way, that heart wasn't the one that was written on the card. It was the one that put it there. And so this morning as we sing, that's my desire for you. That you as a show to God, as an act of your will, stake in the ground, casting your vote, planting your feet, and leaving behind not the person, but the unforgiveness that has owned you, if even for a day, for far too long. Heads bowed and eyes closed. My great desire as well is that for those who have never yielded their lives to Jesus Christ, that today that you see the beauty of the gospel, that when you could not get good enough to make things right with God, when you could never do enough to cover over the sins of your life to this point, sin that would warrant you being separated from him forever, that Jesus chose to die in your place. Long before your life would ever come into existence, he paid the price in advance. So that if you're just simply willing to turn from that sin and to yield your life, it's a huge decision. It's not an easy one, but to yield your life to Christ. He'll take over your life. He'll secure a spot for you in eternity in heaven. And he'll make you right beginning today. So whatever decision you need to make this morning as we sing, As God speaks to your heart, this is your opportunity to choose and to follow. God bless now these decisions. Thank you for the choice to forgive. Lord, we know that there may be some that will leave behind a name, leave behind their unforgiveness. And Lord, it may take time for those feelings to completely fade, those hurt feelings. And that's okay. Lord, it took a while for that bitterness to grow, and it may take a while for the feelings to fade. But, Lord, the choice today can be made. That I'm not going to hold their debt against them anymore. I'm not going to treat them any differently. I'm going to reflect the forgiveness of God as I choose to forgive them. Starting today. Bless now these decisions, we pray, and that you alone may be glorified through them. In Jesus' name. Amen.